tonight, punishing and paralyzing the first round of a lethal lake effect snowstorm. The blinding blast in western New York. It can turn very quickly. This is a very unpredictable storm. And the wait for more snow in Canada. I don't know if my back can take much more. The race to remedy a child medication shortage. Can't get it anywhere. This is Canada. A million bottle order to hit shelves next week. It's a bit late in the, the year to be, you know, coming up with solutions. Plus World Cup soccer without the beer. Mmm, a little sad about it, but it's okay. Moving the goalposts with a sudden ban on booze. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, John Benavalli Rao. Good evening. Parts of Ontario and the city of Buffalo are preparing for a weekend of digging out after a snowstorm moved in, one that is smashing records. It got so bad in Buffalo, even a snowplow got stuck and needed help from another one to get out. Over 1.3 meters, or 54 inches, fell in some areas. The biggest one-day snowfall in New York State's history. And at least two people have died in cardiac events while shoveling. CTV's Adrian Gobriel is in Buffalo tonight. Adrian. John, this historic storm has delivered scenes like this straight across southern Buffalo, and it's far from over. A relentless pounding from above has left Western New Yorkers under siege. Our plows are getting stuck. Law enforcement vehicles are getting stuck. This was the scene in Orchard Park, the home of the Buffalo Bills. The area has received 132 centimeters of snow and counting, leading to this desperate plea from government officials. Our biggest enemy here for the next 48 to 72 hours is a lack of common sense. Well, listen, it's an absolute emergency. Please stay home. For some, sheltering a position isn't an option. We found Tara Katowski struggling through the snow in desperate need of medical care. She can't breathe and she, uh, she had a surgery that didn't go too well. So we're going to try and get her to the hospital. Not being able to walk her correctly and it's just very painful. Six million people from Wisconsin to New York are under weather advisories. With a state of emergency declared in Buffalo, the lake effect blast has brought with it thunder snowstorm. It's a very, very, very difficult and dangerous situation. Those venturing out face treacherous conditions. Emergency crews have responded to dozens of accidents. There's a car under there. While some have struggled to even find their vehicles, it's not just the amount of snow that's fallen, but the pace in which it's blanketed the region. Wow, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of shoveling. <laughs> Digging out, while essential, has been nearly futile. How long have you been digging for here? How long? Since 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Even some Canadians trying to drive through the state have found themselves caught in the grasp of this wild weather system. I mean, we had no snow over in Canada, and then finally I get over to Buffalo and it starts snowing heavily and the freeway's closed, so fortunately I'm stuck in Buffalo. It doesn't seem like I'm going anywhere. Many may be stuck here all weekend. Residents are bracing for the next blast, we could see another 80 centimeters by Sunday, 30 of which may fall tonight. John? All right, thanks very much. Adrian Gobriel in Buffalo tonight. On this side of the border, Environment Canada issued weather alerts for the Niagara region with heavy lake effect snow expected tonight and into the weekend. 
We've got food supplies, we've got water supplies, we've got batteries, candles. Some areas will get between 40 and 60 centimeters. After months of grappling with a major shortage of critical medication for children, some relief is on the way. A million bottles of acetaminophen and ibuprofen for kids will be in hospitals and on shelves by next week. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. Pharmacy shelves usually stocked with children's pain medication are bare across the country. And you can't get it anywhere. This is Canada. I'll give you the chart to make sure you get the right dose. After searching several stores for something to help bring down his grandkids' fever. You can crush it to some apple juice, some yogurt. Jim Campbell is getting advice on how to crush up adult-sized pills for a child. This pharmacist is actually driving to the U.S. to supply his store. Well, parents come in here and they're very frustrated. They're, they're scared. Supplies have been scarce since the spring. Health Canada confirmed today more than a million bottles of children's medicine will start arriving in Canada next week. This after the agency asked manufacturers to ramp up production. Just the production of the product that's already authorized for Canada is double what we would have seen last year. But that was still not enough to meet demand. A severe respiratory virus season is driving that insatiable demand. Along with COVID, RSV and influenza cases are much higher than expected for this time of year. Alberta's health minister announced the province's first influenza death of the season, including a four-year-old child. Karina Hua's 10-week-old son, Lyndon, is still recovering from a rash of viral infections. He was hospitalized for 11 days in October with RSV. After that experience, Hua is worried she'll have to go back to an overwhelmed health care system. It's very concerning when you bring in uh, a baby that's less than three months old and you're told, like, you basically wait. You wait five-plus hours, seven-plus hours to be seen. There are calls for greater domestic production, as it's not just children's medications that are limited. 800 drugs are currently in short supply, according to Health Canada, John. All right, Kevin Gallagher, thank you. Well, just days after strongly recommending Ontario's return to mask wearing indoors, the province's top doctor has found himself under fire. This after being caught on camera maskless at a party this week. Dr. Kieran Moore attended the event, celebrating Toronto Life's 50 most influential people, a list that included Moore, who ranked number 12 for, quote, keeping COVID under control. Sticking with Ontario, bars and restaurants will be allowed to get an early start while the World Cup is on. Each day during the tournament, they'll be able to serve alcohol starting at 7 a.m., though with a time difference, some games will kick off even earlier than that. It is a stark contrast to the stunning last-minute decision by Qatar today to ban beer sales inside the stadiums. CTV's Heather Wright reports from Doha. A massive about-face after 12 years of planning. A game without a beer, it's going to be hot. It's going to be real hot. Ever since Qatar was awarded the tournament, organizers had insisted that beer would be available. A compromise in a country where access to alcohol is strictly controlled. It's not clear what prompted the change just two days before kickoff. Mm, a little sad about it, but it's okay. Budweiser spends a reported $100 million to be the exclusive beer provider at the World Cup. A World Cup where they now can't sell beer at games. 
Initially, the company tweeted, well, this is awkward, before deleting the tweet and issuing a short statement, which says some of the planned stadium activations cannot move forward due to circumstances beyond our control. This decision has some fans questioning FIFA's decision to hold its marquee tournament in this country. It's a dry cup. Nobody likes dry cups. You want to <laughs> keep it? This is the first World Cup to be held in the Arab world in a country with strict rules on how people should dress and behave. I was really worried before coming here. Arena Alves and Bruno Sanchez are from Brazil and checked into their home for the next 20 days. It's a modular room in a massive fan village built in the middle of the desert. Strange. <laughs> exactly. It looks like cabins, but uh, seems uh, really clean. Everybody's really kind here. So please follow me. Another obstacle to hosting this tournament was coming up with enough rooms to house the fans. Uh, actually, uh, these rooms, uh, the price starting from uh, 200 USD. $200 uh, gets you a bed, a bathroom, and most importantly, air conditioning. It's going to be a new concept of accommodation where we'll be having a lot of activities, a lot of entertainment. It's also a place to meet people who share a passion for soccer with or without a cold beer. Still, some are wondering if Qatari officials can backtrack so quickly on beer. How firm is their commitment to other issues like welcoming LGBTQ2S plus fans and respecting the rights of migrant workers? John. Heather Wright in Doha tonight. And a reminder, we will have extensive coverage of the World Cup when CTV National News starts broadcasting from Qatar this Sunday. A Silicon Valley tech CEO, once hailed as the next Steve Jobs, is going to jail. Elizabeth Holmes received an 11-year prison sentence today after defrauding investors in her blood-testing startup Theranos, a company once valued at $9 billion. Holmes, who's pregnant with her second child, told the court she felt deep pain for those who were misled. The U.S. Attorney General has appointed a special counsel to oversee the investigations into Donald Trump. The extraordinary circumstances presented here demand it. Merrick Garland says Trump's entry into the next presidential race meant handing over Justice Department inquiries to veteran prosecutor Jack Smith, whose experience includes investigating war crimes at The Hague. I want to address the appalling announcement today by the egregiously corrupt the Biden administration and their weaponized Department of Justice. The special counsel will oversee investigations into Trump's involvement in the January 6th attack and classified documents found at Trump's home. And the question whether or not Trump will be allowed back onto Twitter is now a poll question posted tonight by Elon Musk, who is scrambling to keep the social media giant up and running. This after hundreds of workers quit en masse. Here's CTV's Heather Butts. An emergency call to assemble remaining engineers. Elon Musk asking those who write software to report to the office today, according to the New York Times. That media outlet, among others, saying up to 1,200 have walked out the door following a Thursday deadline from Musk that staffers at Twitter 2.0 commit to a hardcore culture where they work long hours at high intensity or leave. Look, this is essentially Game of Thrones between Musk and the Twitter employees. After the Tesla tycoon took the reins of Twitter, the platform suffered job cuts and advertiser boycott. Musk himself tweeting last night, how do you make a small fortune in social media? Start out with a large one. 
With hashtag RIP Twitter trending, users have been battling for the best farewell post. It may be a sinking ship with few people behind the helm. Melissa Engel worked as a senior data scientist at Twitter and was fired just days ago. It just seems with, with current staff levels, it cannot. And that's just flat out cannot be saved. Trying to rebrand the platform today, Musk tweeted, new Twitter policy is freedom of speech but not freedom of reach, saying negative and hate speech will be deboosted and demonetized. As part of this policy, several accounts have been reinstated, including Kathy Griffin, a decision on Trump still not made. With skeleton staff, tech experts call it a scary space for cybersecurity. If you start seeing more misinformation or disinformation on the platform in the next few days, you'll understand why, because there literally are no more people in the background to fix those things. Some tech experts say Twitter will continue to bleed money if Musk doesn't find a way to bring back advertisers as it looks to survive another trending hashtag, Twitter shut down. John. Okay, thank you, Heather. Operations at Lima's International Airport were suspended today after a terrifying crash on a runway. A passenger jet was taking off when it collided with a fire truck and burst into flames. Authorities say two firefighters were killed, though all 108 passengers and crew on the plane were able to get out safely. Investigators are trying to figure out why it happened. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un has made his first public appearance with his daughter. The two were seen in a series of photos holding hands after inspecting the rogue nation's largest ballistic missile shortly before it was test-fired. That launch forced an emergency meeting of world leaders in Thailand at the APEC summit. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver is traveling with the prime minister. Seen as a significant provocation, North Korea's latest missile test left its mark above the sky near Japan. Officials there say the intercontinental ballistic missile had the range to hit the U.S. mainland. It would cover all of the United States, Japan's defense minister said. The launch is North Korea's 34th this year, and it prompted an emergency meeting of Western allies on the margin of the APEC summit in Thailand. We strongly condemn these actions, and we again call for North Korea to stop further unlawful destabilizing acts. Friday's test comes one day after North Korea launched a smaller missile and its president threatened fiercer military responses to the U.S. boosting its security presence in the region. Canada appears to be following suit, with the prime minister signaling the Canadian armed forces will soon have an enhanced engagement in the region. You can't talk about economic opportunity and growth without the stability and peace uh, that comes uh, when uh, you're... Uh, avoiding and preventing uh, further conflict. The Prime Minister provided only broad strokes about more defence investments, but he did pledge nearly $100 million to improve diplomatic relations in the region. More, he said, will be revealed in the Indo-Pacific strategy the government's been pitching to Southeast Asian nations at summits all week. Canada is uh, serious about this uh, this region. Uh, we have always been. Trudeau now heads off to Tunisia for La Francophonie Summit. The focus there will be on preserving the French language, but there could be some controversy too. Tunisia recently passed a constitution that puts more power in the hands of its president, and the UN has listed it as one of the countries requiring urgent action on human rights. Annie Bergeron-Oliver, CTV News, Bangkok. Time for a two-minute break, but when we come back... Prime Minister bin Salman is immune. A legal shield for the Saudi crown prince in the murder of a journalist. Plus... What a good girl! A mother's embrace and an emotional reunion.
A massive fire in Gaza has claimed the lives of 21 people, most of them from a single family. Flames spread through a residential building in a refugee camp where families had gathered for a party. At least eight children were among those killed. A large amount of gasoline stored in the building fueled the fire. Hundreds of mourners gathered to lay to rest the many dead. And today, a last-ditch effort to take the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia to trial in the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi seems to have fallen through, with the White House granting him legal immunity. Here's CTV's Tom Walters on why. The U.S. government has accused Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of murder. But now the same U.S. government says he cannot be held liable for it. An American intelligence report concluded that bin Salman himself ordered the murder and dismemberment of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was last seen entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in 2018. That day destroyed my life. Khashoggi's fiance sued bin Salman in a Washington court. But in September, the Saudis broke with their own tradition and law and named him prime minister, in effect claiming the crown prince rather than the king is the head of their government and out of reach of American justice. Now the U.S. State Department agrees. Prime Minister bin Salman is immune from suit in U.S. courts uh, while he holds the office of prime minister. That's not a defense, but a point of law. Still, it seems starkly at odds with the promise Joe Biden made during the 2020 election campaign to hold the Saudis accountable for the murder. Make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. Candidate Biden even vowed in writing to reassess the relationship with Saudi Arabia and to make sure America does not check its values at the door to sell arms or buy oil. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. But since taking office, the Biden administration has signed off on nearly $5 billion worth of arms sales to Saudi Arabia. And in July, the president gave the so-called pariah a cordial fist bump before discussing, among other things, oil. Now, with the government concluding that bin Salman does have immunity, it's expected the lawsuit against him will be thrown out by the court. John? Thanks so much, Tom. Well, still ahead, a pop star speaks out. It's me. Taylor Swift takes on Ticketmaster. Ahead of the final weeks of hearings into the use of the Emergencies Act, we're learning more about how top public servants recommended extreme measures like shutting gas stations and communications lines to try and end the convoy blockade in Ottawa. I would have been saying all hands on deck, no idea too crazy. Let's look at absolutely everything. Let's look the at clerk of the Privy Council said she asked her deputy ministers to consider more options before invoking the act. The prime minister will take the stand next week. And Taylor Swift has taken a stand on the spiraling chaos in the world of pop after her fans crashed Ticketmaster trying to grab a ticket for her upcoming tour. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Without naming Ticketmaster, the 32-year-old singer said on Instagram it was excruciating to watch mistakes happen with no recourse. The criticism coincides with a New York Times report today that Ticketmaster's parent company was already under an antitrust investigation before the fiasco. 
at a powerful reunion at a Kansas zoo between a chimpanzee mother and her newborn. This is the first time mom, Mahale, is meeting her baby two days after having an emergency C-section. The new addition, whose name means play in Swahili, had trouble breathing, but is now doing just fine. After the break, football fever. We support each other. We're just like a big family. The countdown is on to the ultimate prize in Canadian football. It is one of the biggest annual spectacles on the Canadian sporting calendar, with football fans descending on Regina this weekend for the Grey Cup. The Toronto Argonauts are facing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and the host city fans are embracing the big event, even though their own team didn't make it to the championship. Here's CTV's Bill Fortier. More than a full day before the biggest game in Canadian football, the party in Regina is in full swing. Fans come from across the country and beyond for the Grey Cup itself and a celebration of the Canadian game. We bicker, we fight, we bug each other, we praise each other, we support each other. We're just like a big family. Regina is the CFL's smallest market in population, but its fan base is famously loud and proud. Is there a better place than Regina to host this game? There is no better contingent of fans than Saskatchewan fans. They love football. It is in their blood here. The game pits the two-time defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's got it! Touchdown, Winnipeg! Against the East-leading Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> the league has been hit hard financially by the pandemic. The commissioner says it's now recovering and looking to grow on digital platforms. And it's going to expand our reach. It's going to give us an opportunity to reach new Canadians, new fans, and, and frankly, fans around the world. One of the game's big draws is the halftime show. This year, one of the performers has a uniquely Canadian story. I'm looking at it as a huge opportunity. Josh Ross played football in high school and went on to play for Western University as a defensive back. His dream of making the CFL was dashed by ankle injuries, so he turned to country music. With a couple of hits under his belt, he'll perform on the field he once wanted to play on. About as good as gets. I mean, I wish I could still play in the game, but I would probably be useless at this point. So, While the party will go all weekend, the 109th Grey Cup game kicks off Sunday afternoon. Bill Fortier, CTV News, Edmonton. And of course, out west, it'll be the afternoon with the game starting at 6 p.m. Eastern on TSN. That's it for us, for Omar Sachedina and the rest of the CTV crew. Thanks for watching. Sandy Ronaldo will be here tomorrow night. Have a great weekend. Five crucial questions to expose the truth. Who's at risk? What needs to change? When will justice be done? There was actually a plot to kill you. Where's the proof? Why did this happen? Watch W5 Saturdays at 7 on CTV.